Did we come from apes? Did Noah's flood really happen? Are fossils millions of years old? These are three major issues in the continuing debate over origins. What do creation scientists have to say? We can be confident that apes are apes and people are people. God created them that way and he created humans in God's image. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Evolutionary philosophy and indoctrination is strong within the secular media and in high school and college classes. Evolutionists want to convince people that we're related to apes, that Noah's flood never happened, and that fossils are really millions of years old. But what does the Bible and true science teach about these subjects? Join us for the next 15 minutes as creation scientists address these issues and explain why evolutionary answers about the origin of life and Earth history just don't hold water. ICR President Dr. John Morris says, Although evolutionists do not teach that all apes became human, their theory of ape-to-human evolution is still biblically and scientifically incorrect. They don't really think that all of the population of apes evolved into the people. They talk about the peripheral isolates, that one small group on the periphery of the whole got isolated maybe by a river eroding through, and so they never had interchange with the larger group. And so this small group evolved rapidly into something else. And, and so they would still have the bulk of the animals in the mother group, but then this small group would be evolving. But the question I would like to ask is, did we evolve from the apes, and how could we evolve from the apes? There's a great gulf. Apes are apes and people are people and there's nothing in between. And besides that, there's no evidence that this even could happen. There's no way it could happen. We're told that if the Australopithecine apes evolved into people, that there's still like three million point mutations that are needed to accomplish this. I think it's probably more than that, but it's a favorable mutations that add genetic information that increase brain size. It could do whatever. And there's just never been any observation of a beneficial mutation ever observed. We can be confident that apes are apes and people are people. God created them that way. He created the apes after their kind, and he created humans in God's image. And the fact that we are made after God's likeness is what separates us the most from any other creature. Of course, the biggest difference between the apes and the humans is in the spiritual realm. As humans, we have language. We have thought. We can have abstract thought. We can plan for the future. There's a lot of things. We appreciate beauty. We appreciate right and wrong. We know that right is better than wrong. Humans are very different from apes. It's in this spiritual side, though, that we're most different. And that's because we're created in the image of God. It is God's pattern. It's God's thoughts and his personality that he's, that he's built into us at a, at a faded degree, obviously. But it's that spiritual side that really sets us apart. From the animals. When it comes to the validity of Noah's flood, evolutionists disregard the event, even though they see much geologic evidence for it. Instead, they attribute flood catastrophes in Earth history to localized episodes. ICR geophysicist Dr. John Baumgartner says we know the global flood really did happen because we read about it in Scripture. But God also gave us physical evidence for it as well. I would say we first have that assurance from God's Word, spelled out very clearly, chapters 6 through 9 in the Bible clearly are describing a global catastrophe. It's not just a verse here, verse there. 
it's a significant event as far as God's word is concerned. So first we have this assurance from God's word that the flood is a real historical event. Secondly, before we start trying to speculate about how it happened, we have a great deal of physical evidence to consider. And we see, as we look at the rock record, we see many lines of evidence that point to rapid process, catastrophic process, large-scale process affecting the whole world at the same time. So we have evidence in the rocks themselves that a major global cataclysm indeed has taken place. One indication that Noah's flood was not confined to isolated regions, but was in fact worldwide, is that areas damaged catastrophically are too large to have been affected by just a local flood. Sedimentary layers, layers laid down by water that don't represent simply a river basin, a stream channel, but cover hundreds of thousands of square miles in both directions. So it has the character of a, something like a large tsunami as opposed to a river. And not just one, but dozens, if not hundreds, of major transgressions and regressions of the oceans over the continents. That's the picture that these sedimentary layers tell. That's the message that they're giving. And it's something radically different from what we see occurring on, on the earth today. Another major piece of evidence that the flood really did take place is the finding of fossilized animals. Today, it's very rare for an animal when it dies to uh, produce a fossil. Generally speaking, it requires special conditions, catastrophic conditions. The animal has to be suddenly buried to uh, prevent it from decomposing from bacteria or eaten by predators. But in the geological record, we see this process of fossilization was common. And in many cases, evidence that these animals were buried alive. We find whole clams with their shells bound together. It doesn't take very long after a clam dies for the two halves of the, the two shells to separate. But most of the time in the fossil record, we find whole clams indicating they were buried alive. And then we find, for example, dinosaurs, evidence that the dinosaurs were buried suddenly and uh, with the bones still articulated. When we talk about fossils, most people automatically think millions of years because of what they've been taught by an evolutionary thinking society. Secular geologists say fossils are tens of millions of years old because they typically date them according to the age of the sedimentary rock in which they're found. However, ICR geologist Bill Hoche tells us that it's not possible to adequately determine the age of these rocks. You cannot pick up a sedimentary rock ordinarily and get a potassium argon date or a rubidium strontium date or anything like that. So they're impossible to date by direct means, generally speaking. And when you pick up a fossil, there's no tag on it that says, Hi, I'm 200 million years old. Obviously, this is highly interpretive anyway. That's very important to keep in mind. And one other thing to keep in mind about fossils, their condition of burial, when we look at fossils, speaks almost universally of catastrophe. We don't see 
fossils, generally speaking, as if they kind of lied down and died of old age. We don't see them in an environment where they, you can work out a, their conditions, their living conditions, right? Uh, because ordinarily, it looks like an abrupt burial event when you see them. And that's perfectly logical when you think about it. So, judging the age of a rock and the fossils found therein is more speculation than it is real science. I would say to any geologist listening that you know it's a lie when you say that you're able to measure the age of a rock. You cannot measure the age of any rock. You can only interpret the age of that rock, and your interpretation is only as good as a set of assumptions are true. And so when scientists say they can age-date rocks, I've got no problem when they say they're interpreting an age, because that's really what it is. But when they say they can measure the age of a rock, that's just simply a lie. It's just not true. And the public is given the impression that scientists have these machines and you just put a rock inside this thing that looks like a microwave oven and you push a button and it gives you the age. That's a complete lie. It's highly interpretive. And again, your interpretation is only as good as the assumptions are true in each one of those methods. And there's a lot of assumptions involved in each one of them. Even though science cannot tell exactly how old fossils really are, by reading the Bible, we know that fossils only go back a few thousand years to the time of the flood. In the absence of any evidence to indicate that those dinosaur bones are millions of years old, I am drawn to the conditions of burial. I'm drawn to the continuity of the beds. I'm drawn to examine their manner of burial. I'm drawn to all these kind of evidences, and they don't tell me the age of the fossils. But when I look at Scripture, and I look that there was a flood mentioned in Scripture, then what I see in the fossil record fits with what I read in Scripture. And so I'm a flood geologist. Bill Hoche also says Christians shouldn't be deceived into believing the unscientific and unprovable theory of evolution, but should trust God's word instead. When you look at the biblical time frame, when you take seriously God at his word, I think you're restricted to a six-day creation week, six ordinary days. The word yom there I think means day of the ordinary variety. And when you look at the genealogies, Oh, there might be gaps here and there. There might be a missing name or two. Uh, but you can forget about your millions if the Bible's true. I don't see how anybody, Christian, who believes in the authority of Scripture, can claim that the earth is billions of years old. Even though I know this is very popular. I attribute the popularity to the unwillingness to let go to the uniformitarian approach to geology and the unwillingness to question evolution. We can see that the physical evidence of science supports what the Bible tells us about Earth history. As significant as this is, Dr. Baumgartner says the most important thing the Bible teaches us is that we have a great need for a Savior. If a person is so inclined, he or she can go out in the, in the natural world and find that the evidence confirms what's in the Bible. But the Bible has more to say than just things about the physical history of the earth. The Bible primarily has to do with our relation as human beings with God. And the problem that we have that caused this cataclysm, caused God to bring this judgment on the earth, is that our basic nature that we have inherited from Adam is turned away from God. We, we have a sin nature. We have a heart that's not inclined toward God. And so we, we desperately need help to uh, be in right standing with God. 
And because of his great love for us, God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to pay the penalty for our sin. He's provided a way by which we might be uh, rescued from this state of being alienated from him, basically being in rebellion against him. That provision is in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ paid the full price for our sins, past, present, and future. The sins of every human being he paid the price for. So that human sin might no longer be an obstacle for a relationship between a human being and God. An incredible work that Christ accomplished for us. So the good message is just that, that Christ has paid for sin. Christ died for sin, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.